Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13. Uh, we're also going to be in Galatians some. Um, you may want to write down, be ready to write down on your bulletin, and you've got a little place in your bulletin for notes, or maybe you have your notebook. And uh, we're going to be covering some different scriptures. Uh, the mystery parables, we've been going through those and trying to get into some detail on these. Talked about the mustard seed last week growing into a, a big tree and the real interpretation of that compared to a lot of things that you may have heard. The same thing with leaven. Uh, talked about leaven a little bit. Gave you some examples out of the Gospels where Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He said, beware of the leaven of Herod. Many times that we're warned to be uh, on guard from this leaven, and leaven is like yeast. And talked about how many times that leaven or leaveneth or leavened is in the Bible, 39 times. And I want to read, I'm going to read that parable again, and then we're going to get into it a little bit deeper. I was, I was not able to, to finish up everything with this particular part, and we were, I was getting ready. The last thing I was going to do was we were going to jump over to Galatians chapter 5 and read a little bit there, and that led into this past Wednesday. Now, if you, there are very few people are here on Wednesday, but you can listen to that Bible teaching on CD or you can listen to it on a podcast. So get on your smartphone and download this. You don't have to download. You just go to however you get your podcast and you search for Lafette Church S.L. Hall. It'll pop up. It pops up on my phone every time it gets uh, put on, like this past Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday night, it was available. It, boom, it's on my phone, I can listen to it. Uh, I usually don't, that's not the first thing I want to go listen to, but if I happen to hit my earbud, I'll start hearing myself. I, cause I, I put my earbuds in my ear, and then I'll take one out. I go to Lowe's, or I go to a job site, I, I'm, I'm going around and I might take one out, and I put it in my pocket, and then I'm thinking I'm going to put it right back in. Well, if I reach down in my pocket trying to find that earbud that slid down in there and I accidentally hit it on the, on the side, it'll just start playing. And I haven't even brought up a podcast. I haven't even tried to play it. All of a sudden, I'm hearing myself. I'm hearing voices. It's myself speaking. And this and it's, uh, podcast has been loaded. It's just come in on my phone. So I end up, li I'm like, oh. What's, he, what's this guy? This guy's nuts. What's he talking about? So I listen to it. <clears throat> well, and it's good to listen to it because if I say something wrong, I need to correct it or something just didn't you know, sound right. Uh, I just noticed that my speaking is not the best. I mean, I'm a country boy, you know, and some of the words I say are pitiful. I can see where people would not understand what I said because of it rhymes with another word and or whatever. I was talking about, uh, was it I, 
is it salve? How do you say it? Salve? I salve. And I'll say salve. You know, I just say it wrong. But it's that uh, anointment that you would put on your eyes for healing. So I was confusing in that. So, again, don't be afraid to say, whoa, whoa, time out. It's supposed to be pronounced. And then everybody will get it. And I'll be educated as well. So I'm good with that. Don't, don't think you're going to hurt my feelings. I'm not real tough, but I'm tough enough to handle that. The, so what, me going off on all that was the importance of listening to the Wednesday nights because we're getting into some really cool stuff on Wednesdays. It's really, really good stuff. I may not present it the best, but it's good stuff. I get it out of the Bible. All right, let's read a little bit. This is Matthew 13, uh, 33. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid. Notice, a woman took. A woman brought in false doctrine and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. All the woman had to do was bring a little bit in and, and just put a little tiny bit in and then step back and just let it do its thing. All these things Jesus spake unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. All right, now we're going to... what I told you that leaven is false doctrine. The tree from the mustard seed is a system. It's the whole system of all the church stuff. And it could be false cults, all kinds of things that are under what we call Christendom. The, the whole big network of, you know, we got these big denominations, they're all part of it. But this leaven is what creeps into the churches. False doctrine. Now, on Wednesdays, I'm going to be going through the book of Galatians. On Sunday mornings early in Sunday school, I've been going through Romans. Well, if you are reading Romans and then you go over to Galatians or Colossians, you, there's all kinds of other epistles and they all kind of work together. You're going to see some things said little differently in other epistles that really start to... to we learn by repetition that great book of Romans, and then you get over into some of these other epistles and you're going to see some of the same things over and over again. You're just going to keep seeing Jesus pop up and grace pop up and warning after warning after warning. Why is Paul warning so much? Because of what Jesus said right here, that leaven is going to creep in. And Paul is, in, in these epistles that he wrote, he spent a lot of time warning us that there's an evil one who's going to try to get you off course. 
corrupt, he's going to try to corrupt the real, and that's the best way to get your uh, mischief accomplished is to do it in a sneaky way. Look like the real thing. Then you're welcomed in, and then you can do the damage when you're in. You know, great empires usually fall because of infiltration. they, They might be mighty in fighting off all of the battles, all the people who come physically and try to dominate you, and you might be able to fight them off. And then when they realize if you can't beat them, join them. And they sneak in as friendly, and they start corrupting you from the inside, and then you fall. Every great empire, every great nation has fallen throughout history. This nation that we're in right now, called the United States of America, has been around for what? 250 years? Right about that? You realize that's nothing? That is such a short period of time. But we've lasted longer than a lot. But we're not safe. We are not safe from the judgment of God and our nation falling like all the rest have done in the past. We're not, we're not uh, protected unless we have God as our protector. So we have to be people who are not afraid and people who stand up and fight against the falseness that creeps in into our churches, into our, into our communities, the things that have crept into the school systems. It's, it's scary how much stuff has crept into the schools because the enemy knows, whether it's Satan or just somebody who wants to undermine the way we do things in America, they know they've got to shape and mold the little minds early. And then they become adults And we wonder, where did that come from? How is it that we could actually have an argument over whether a boy can say he's a girl and run on the girls' track team and compete and win first place every time? How how did it come to the point where we would actually be discussing this and arguing over it? There's no argument there but yet we're arguing over it. It's ridiculous. And then if you stand up for what's right, then you're the bad person. And we've let it get that way. So let's go to uh, Galatians. This whole book of Galatians is about legalism. It's about trying to please God by doing religious things, whether it be circumcision, because that was a Jewish thing, and to honor God and to fit into this new system of, of uh, uh, this, this is the new age, and there are Jews that are being saved, added to the church daily, and then there's some that are coming in and they're trying to mix this new Christian doctrine of grace 
by faith. Just, just accept the grace. It's a free gift of Jesus. It's all about Jesus Christ. And, uh, and you've got so many preachers, people who try to give the message of Christianity, and it's a beautiful message about Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and this added in, or that added in. And I'm, I'm going to uh, try to show you how dangerous it is and how easy it is for us to get caught up in it. In Galatians, chapter 5 is what I wanted to read last week. Starting with verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Now, you can't be justified by the law, but those are people who were trying to be justified by keeping the law. That's what it's saying right here. So if you're one who is trying to be justified by the law, what does it say right after that? Ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Somebody has come in and has messed up the true gospel by adding, well, you got to do this Jewish rite, this Jewish way of doing things. You, gotta, you, you, you need to be circumcised. Now, uh, there was certain people who didn't let this bother them, and they were good with it. And we have some, you, you could have some confusion in that Paul had Timothy circumcised. Remember that? But yet here, he's talking about it doesn't profit you anything. So what's the difference? Okay, you had religious people trying to make you think you had to be, but in the case of Timothy, because he had the uh, Jewish mom, but he had a Greek father, and Timothy was about ready to go into the ministry, and this was the new church. This, all these things were new, and Paul realized that he, he would be accepted more, listened to more, if he was of the circumcision. People would welcome him. They did it strictly for, for the reason of being able to minister a little easier. But others, they were, say, they, they were told, you need to be circumcised, and they, and they said, no, sorry, not going to do it. So there are places where you need to make a stand, but then there are places where it doesn't matter one way or the other on this issue, and I'll go ahead and go along with this so that I'll be better effective in ministering. So it was a judgment call on this. But Paul makes it very clear 
that trying to keep a Jewish way of things is not profiting you any at all. It's actually hindering you in your walk with Christ because you're trying to add something to the simple salvation message. You're trying to add to it. And he said, he said, ye did run well. You were doing good. And then he says, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Nine, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would, they were even cut off which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is, is fulfilled in one word, even in this, not one word as in a single word, but in one saying. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we are, we are, just, we are told to walk in the Spirit. Now, people get it backwards, and they will do everything to fight the flesh so that maybe they can walk in the Spirit. There's a lot of people do that. People who receive this false doctrine of keeping the law, have I kept the law good enough today? And they will keep, keep record of, I did this pretty good, I did that, I need a little work on that. And, 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 and if I can get all this stuff taken care of and I can tame this flesh, maybe I can walk after the Spirit. You've got it all backwards. You are to walk in the Spirit so that you won't do those things in the flesh. Does that make sense? Now, a legalistic person is going to get that backwards. And they're going to get more and more involved in trying to work on the flesh, and it will be a consuming thing, and they'll never actually get to walking after the Spirit. The devil is tricky in the way that he brings in good stuff. Who can argue? They're trying to do better. They're trying to keep these things that they saw in the Bible. And isn't it a clever thing? Very clever to come in and look real religious and then fall into a trap of trying to do something that God said He's already done. I see it all the time. People say, I, I want to do ministry. I want to do this. I want to do that. And they just spend all their time trying to fix themselves so that one day they could be good enough to go do them. And they never do them. And I want to tell them, get your eyes off of you. 
put your eyes on Jesus and go do what He wanted you to do. As long as you're looking at yourself, you won't do these things. All right, I'm going to read something to you out of this uh, Believer's Bible Commentary. I used it in Sunday school this morning, talking about uh, an issue that people uh, have problems with as far as in the church setting. This is going to be on legalism, and this is awesome. So listen carefully. So this is at the end of the commentary on Galatians. So he says, he makes this comment on completing a study of Galatians. So if you was to go through and read all of Galatians, this is, what you, this is the conclusion that you might come up with. One might conclude that Paul defeated the teachers of legalism so effectively that the issue would never trouble the church again. Wrong. Why do you think it made it in our Bible? Because we would be dealing with it today. God knew they need that little epistle to Galatians. Make sure that's in the Word because we still are fighting it today. So history and experience prove otherwise. Legalism has become so important a part of Christendom, the big, big system, that most people believe that it actually belongs. Yes, the legalists are still with us. What else shall we call those professed ministers of Christ who teach, for instance, that confirmation... Baptism, church membership are all necessary for salvation. That the law is the believer's rule of life. That we are saved by faith, but kept by works. That's a famous, I've, I've heard it, sounds good. We're saved by grace, but yet you've got to keep the works and persevere to the end, and it'll prove that you were really saved. So that, that's some false doctrine. That sounds good. What is it but Judaism brought over into Christianity when we are asked to accept a humanly ordained priesthood with its distinctive clothing, buildings patterned after the temple with their carved altars and, a, and elaborate rituals and a church calendar with its Lenten season, its feast, and its fast. They all sound good. But are you doing it to please God? I mean, is it something you feel like you have to do or you're not doing enough? And what is it but the Galatian heresy when believers are warned that they must keep the Sabbath if they are to be saved at last? Modern preachers of legalism are making tremendous inroads among those who profess faith in Christ. And for this reason, every believer should be warned of their teaching and instructed how to answer them. You know, I've had people, I'm not going to share all the different examples, but there are people that I know that they go to church on Saturday. Or they say we should go to church on Saturday. We've got to keep the Sabbath. Keep the, you, you, as, part of the, as part of the Ten Commandments, you've got to keep the Sabbath. Okay? The prophets of the Sabbath usually begin by preaching the gospel of salvation by faith in Christ. They use beloved ev evangelical hymns to lure the unweary. 
and appear to place much emphasis on the Scriptures. But before long, they put their followers under the law of Moses, especially the commandment concerning the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, or Saturday. How do they dare to do this in light of Paul's clear teaching that the Christian is dead to the law? How do they get around the plain statements of Galatians? The answer is that they make a sharp distinction, and, and, I, and this is something that I have said, this is, something, this is what I've heard, they make a sharp distinction, distinction between the moral law and the ceremonial law. The moral law is the Ten Commandments. The ceremonial law covers the other regulations given by God, such as rules concerning unclean foods, leprosy, offerings to God, and so forth. The moral law, they say, has never been revoked. It is an expression of God's eternal truth to commit adultery, murder, I mean, well, and idolatry, will always be contrary to God's law. The ceremonial law, however, has been done away in Christ. Now, does that all sound good? It all sounds good. Therefore, they conclude when Paul teaches that the Christian is dead to the law, he's speaking about the ceremonial law and not the Ten Commandments. A lot of you are agreeing with this. Since the moral law is still in effect, Christians are bound to keep it, they, they insist. The means that they must keep the Sabbath, that they must do no work on that day, they assert that one of the popes of the Roman Catholic Church... So there's this uh, teaching that went around that the pope, one of the popes years ago, changed the Sabbath to Sunday. Well, that's just totally ridiculous. I don't care if he did. The Bible teaches that we come together on the first day of the week. The Bible teaches that. I didn't need a pope to tell me that we worship on Sunday. It, it was stated in our Bibles way before there was a pope. This reasoning sounds very logical and appealing. However, its great condemning feature is that it is entirely contrary to God's Word. Note the following points. All right, listen carefully. In 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 11, the Ten Commandments are definitely stated to be done away. Ah, oh, I got your attention, didn't I? For the believer in Christ. Now, the law is always going to be there. Christ came to fulfill it, not to do away with it, right? But the Christian, it's done away, the, all the law, not just the, the ceremonial law, but all law, moral, ceremonial, it doesn't matter, all law has been done away with. In verse 7, the law is described as the ministry of death. You know, if you broke the law, the moral law, if you committed adultery, you die by stoning. Well, if the penalty is not accepted anymore, then the law is worthless. If you have a speed limit sign on the interstate and there was no chance, like defund the police was successful and there's no police anywhere, what good is the sign? People are going to drive whatever they think is good. You're going to have some 
young 18-year-old guy who thinks he can drive 120 safely. He's an idiot, right? Only people who care about others will drive a safe speed. Why do you care about others? Because Jesus said to care about others. He, he, he got it down to two laws. Love the Lord God with all your mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's that simple. All right, I'm going to keep reading. It's the, de- it's the ministry of death written and engraved on stones. Was the ceremonial law engraved on stones? Nope. The Ten Commandments were engraved in stone. This could only mean the moral law, not the ceremonial law. Only the Ten Commandments were great. I already said that. In verse 11, we read that the ministry of death, though glorious, is done away. Nothing could be more decisive than this. The Sabbath has no claim on the Christian. No Gentile was ever commanded to keep the Sabbath. The law was given to the Jewish nation only. Although God himself rested on the seventh day, he did not command anyone else to do so until he gave the law to the children of Israel. You know the time gap between the example of God resting on the seventh day in Genesis to when the law was actually put in place with Moses? The time period? I mean, it was 400 years just for the uh, uh, nation being in, in Egyptian bondage. But look at all the time that was before that before they ever went into bondage. There was no law of God until Moses brought it down off the mountain. Christians did not switch from the Sabbath to the first day of the week because of the decree of any pope. We set aside the Lord's Day in a special way for worship and for service because the Lord Jesus rose from the dead on that day. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week. That's why I call it Resurrection Sunday, when Easter comes around. I don't like calling it Easter, because Easter was a pagan holiday. But Resurrection Day, that's a Christian holiday. We hold that day very special, very special. So Jesus rose from the dead on that day, a proof that the work of redemption was completed. Also on that day, the early disciples met to break bread, showing forth the Lord's death. And it was the day appointed by God for the Christians to set apart their offerings as the Lord has prospered them. So as we get prospered at doing our work during the week, then we bring in the first fruits of that and give back to the Lord. That was, it was set aside. And uh, that's in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit was sent down from heaven on the first day of the week. You realize that? The Holy Spirit came. It was on the first day of the week. Christians do not observe the Lord's Day as a means of achieving holiness or from fear of punishment. They set it apart because of loving devotion to to the one who gave himself for them. Paul does not distinguish between the moral law and the ceremonial law. Rather, he insists that the law is a complete unit and that a curse rests on those who seek to attain righteousness by it, yet fail to keep it at all. You know that? You know that people who try to keep the law 
so that they can be righteous enough to be saved end up not keeping it at all. Because if you offend in one, you've offended, you've offended in all. Remember that chain illustration I had where I was covering up the little piece of wire that was holding a big sturdy chain together? And I asked if you, know, you want to be picked up by this chain and carried over this fiery pit, and if you get to the other side, you get a million dollars. And then I, you know, if somebody would say, yeah, I'll take that bet, then I drop the chain down a little more, and you can see that one place in the chain that's just fixed with wire that we could come apart. Then it's not so enticing anymore. No, whoa, 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 I don't think I will. But look at all the links of this chain. They're all so strong. Only one's weak. Come on, let's pick you up by that chain and carry you over. Why are you focused on the one little thing that's weak? The rest of the chain is so strong. It doesn't matter how strong the rest of the chain is. It's the weak link that sends you to hell, down into that fiery pit. So if you try to get to heaven by keeping the law, you're weak in some areas of it. You might be really good at some, but the one weak, weak link will break and you will, you will be lost. All right, uh, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament as moral instruction for the children of God. They deal with things that are inherently right or wrong. The one commandment which is omitted in the law in, is the law of the Sabbath. The keeping of a day is not inherently right or wrong. There is no instruction to Christians to keep the Sabbath. Rather, the Scripture distinctly states that the Christian cannot be condemned for failing to keep it. And where's that at? That's in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, I'm reading uh, 14 through 17. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So what's the handwriting of ordinances? The law, ceremonial, moral, all of it. How did he blot it out? With the shed blood. Having and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Listen to this. Verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, things that you eat, or in drink, whatever you drink, don't let anybody judge you in it, or in respect of an holy day, or the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. There it is in Scripture. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. The penalty for breaking the Sabbath in the Old Testament was death. But those who insist on believers keeping the Sabbath today do not carry out the penalty on offenders. They thus dishonor the law and destroy its authority by failing to ins insist that its demands be met. So basically they're saying, you need to keep the law, but yet if you don't, nothing will happen. Same thing with the speed limit sign that I was talking about. Is this making sense? All right, here's an example I used in Sunday school by somebody that I've learned a lot from over the years. He was talking about graduating from middle school and going to high school. Now, 
when he, he was under the rule of the rules of the middle school when he was in middle school. When he graduated from the eighth grade and he went to the high school, he was by no means under the authority of the middle school anymore. Makes sense. If he was to have a middle school teacher say, hey, you, you, blah, 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 you, you need, no, no, I'm not, I'm not under your rule anymore. I'm under the high school rule. The high school has many of the same rules as the middle school. So in saying all this, all right, so now, because we're not under law, I can go murder somebody. Wrong. All right, we're not under law, so I can commit adultery. Wrong. See, under Christ, not only am I more in line with actually looks like I'm keeping the law, because all those things carry over under Christ, but in a totally different way. I'm led by the Spirit. I'm not led by the flesh anymore. So, in wanting to be like Christ, my standards are way higher than the law of Moses. So, if you're really proud of yourself for keeping the Ten Commandments pretty good, you, you, you do a pretty good job, yeah, I'm a little weak in that one, but you know, overall, I'm doing really, really well. But then, remember the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when Jesus said, you know, you brag about not committing adultery, but if you look upon someone and lust after them, you commit adultery in your heart, and they're going, Ugh, get this guy out of here. He's ruining everything. I thought I was doing real good. And Jesus comes along and shows me that I where I thought I was doing good, I'm pitiful. And they ended up taking him away, falsely accusing him, and, and killing him. Because the religious leaders of the day bragged, and they prayed on the street corners for everybody to hear. They did all these things religious-like, so people would look at them and go, oh, look at how holy they are. When Jesus showed up on the earth... He wasn't fighting against the worldly things. He was fighting against the church leaders. And they fought against him. And they thought they won. But they were so wrong. You know, we can have victory in Jesus. You know, our standards are way, way higher being in Jesus than trying to keep the law. We're not going to allow legalism to come in. We're free to do what Jesus would do. We're free to honor Jesus in everything we do because of what He did for us on the cross. Nothing saves us other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. We're not going to bring anything extra in. We're going to solely count on the one thing that truly saves us. And that's Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the shed blood. Father, we thank you for caring enough about us, even though we did not deserve it at all. Father, we deserve punishment, condemnation. We deserve so many bad things. Eternity in hell. But Father, many, many, many years ago, you saw us. You knew that we would need a way to be reconciled to you. Jesus left his heavenly home 
came down here to be with us, to live amongst us, to live a perfectly sinless life, to be a perfect lamb for the slaughter, a perfect sacrifice to go to the cross. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us are looking at the cross right now with our eyes closed and looking at the cross. And Father, we see Jesus hanging on that cross. We see the blood dripping down. We see the blood going into the ground. Father, He didn't have to go there. He willingly gave Himself up because He could see us. He could see each and every one of us. And He took our place. And Father, anybody who's looking at that cross right now and seeing that blood should be changed in their hearts. They should call out to you and receive the free gift and be saved. And know that from this day forward, we are safe in your arms for eternity. Amen.